0: MSW Media
1: Season 4 of How We Win is here.
2: For the past 4 years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country, and last year we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, eating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races and fighting back a non-existent red wave.
1: But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms.
2: So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And
1: we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of way to win and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona.
2: So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope.
1: I'm Steve Pearson.
2: And I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And And this this is is How How We Win.
1: The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor. Or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer.
0: So, yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean
1: up on aisle 45.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the one hundredth episode Woo. of Clean Up on Aisle Forty Five. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> oh, are you doing Prices Right? That was uh, excellent. M- <laughs> might as well. Uh, I am your host, by the way, newly accepted to the White House Correspondents' Association, oh. Allison Gill. Oh. With me, as always, is real life lawyer and real life friend Andrew Torres.
3: And I can think of no better credentials than that, but mostly that's because no one will give me any. So,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> how are you doing, Allison? You got
0: that lawyer thing, though. You I know? do I mean, have the
3: lawyer thing. That works big out one. okay.
0: Yeah, I don't have that one. I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm doing great today. I had yeah. a great weekend. Awesome. Very restful. It is. We're recording just so everyone knows. On Monday, December twelfth just had some breaking news (laughs) that uh, another Andrew and I, Andrew McCabe, and I will discuss on the new Jack podcast this coming Sunday. Uh, It looks like special counsel Jack Smith just subpoenaed Brad Raffensperger. So that's excellent.
1: Yeah,
3: (laughs) And
0: uh, I just wanted to note, you know, I did a thread on this this morning. I like to remind everyone all, I think listeners to this program already know where I stand on this because, you know, the January 6th committee is about ready to come out with its report and hand over all the transcripts and evidence. I just want to note that it's they're not doing that. The DOJ isn't requiring those. Well, not only doing that because they, you know, just don't want to do the work themselves or was hoping that the January 6th committee would do all their legwork for them. It's very important, and we learned this from the Durham-Sussman case, that your witness, you know, you know especially your star witnesses, have consistent testimony across different agencies, and we know that Jim Baker told different things. Not he was not that he was lying; he just had inconsistent testimony and memory. Uh, and he told different things to the Inspector General and Congress and Durham's grand jury, and that made it very easy. Uh, aside from the materiality issue, <laughs> it made it very easy for the Department of Justice to impeach Jim Baker as a witness, the sole witness to the conversation that he had with Michael Sussman. So because there was inconsistent testimony, so the DOJ has to have or it's very important that they have those you know those transcripts so they can compare them to what they got from the inspector general because we know the inspector general opened two investigations into January 6th in January of 2021. So that that testimony, the congressional testimony to the January 6th committee and the grand jury testimony have to match. Uh, or, you know, you at least have to consider, take into consideration if they don't. And, you know, they wanted, <laughs> you know, you remember they first asked, Andrew, they, the, the DOJ first asked for the fraudulent electors transcripts because they were very far ahead in that case. and uh, And then they issued 40 or 50 subpoenas. That's like a week later after they got those transcripts. Uh, to fraudulent electors right before the 60-day election blackout window. And then once we emerged from the dark side of the moon, as it were, <laughs> uh, they, they sent out subpoenas to—Jack uh, Smith sent out subpoenas because he was named appointed special counsel— sent out subpoenas to election officials in Michigan, Arizona, and Wisconsin, then secretaries of state in Michigan and Wisconsin, and now— Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, we now have five of the swing states having been subpoenaed by now special counsel, formerly yeah. Wyndham of the D.C. Uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, who he had been, he'd been brought in in January to help head up these investigations. So I just want to point it out that you really have to check for consistencies in that. And now that we're getting those transcripts and all the evidence from January 6th, and now- that we're going to get all of the non-classified documents from Judge Deary, which is going to be our first subject that we're going to discuss. (laughs) It's unlike Donkey Kong. They're going to have all of the evidence in their possession that they need to continue with their grand jury uh, testimony investigations and potential prosecutions. So I just wanted to, to mention that off the top of... Of the show, because that news just dropped. But yeah, let's let's talk about unless you have any comments <laughs> on that. Let's talk I, about uh, Judge Eileen I, Cannon, Federalist Society. <laughs> I
3: have a, I have a few comments. Uh, you got that exactly right. Uh, I want to clarify when we talk about uh, Judge Cannon and uh, you said we're going to get the the documents, the non classified document. You mean, you know, <laughs> that. Jack Smith is going to get those we. documents. Yeah, right. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. As somebody who lives for documents, I wanted to clarify that, uh, as far as I know, we, as in you and I, the public, right. the public will not be receiving those documents. Um, Everything uh, about what you said with respect to ensuring that witness statements are consistent is uh, not only good lawyering, but also critical to uh, if there is a prosecution, which is what we care about, what we want. uh, Remember that prosecutors uh, have a. A Brady obligation to turn over and disclose and specifically identify potentially exculpatory information to the defense. And so, you know, that's shining a bright spotlight. So knowing where these statements are also is really, really crucial as you attempt to gather additional information from those witnesses, because remember, lots of people cooperated with the January 6th committee who are. Are not on board and are not on our side in connection with prosecuting Donald Trump for seditious conspiracy or, you know, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding or anything that we've talked about. Right. Bill Barr, I am 100 percent positive, will obfuscate and try and fuck us with respect to the Jack Smith investigation. Right. I I, I don't trust that guy further than I could throw him and I can't throw him. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, it, 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 it really I just wanted to underscore just how important that is. Uh, but again, I think we have convinced anybody who can be convinced um, if, if you're not pleased with uh, the uh, pace and rigor and depth uh, that uh, that Jack Smith has shown in his first couple of weeks on the job, uh, you probably can't be pleased with anything. So, <laughs>
0: yeah. And you, and, you know, when I brought up, you know, folks who listen to the show probably have heard me say this in see me tweet this a million times, folks who listen to this show, uh, and our patrons, who I need to thank, we need to take a minute to thank before we oh, dive oh. into Federalist Society weirdo, Eileen Cannon's very bad, no good, terrible week. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, months, actually. Uh, Ca- rest
3: I, uh, of career. <laughs> rest
0: <laughs> of career. Uh, but seriously, patrons make this show possible. And you know now we have that bonus episode that you get for free at the $2 or more level. You just sign up. At uh, Patreon.com/slashisle45pod, aisle i s l e four five p o d. Thanks to Nancy Deans, Hocha Chat, chachkot I'm gonna hope I got that right. <laughs> Joe Langovan, Vios, Toby Kenobi, Dan Skinner, Doug Longman, Nadina Cole Potter, Eric Alexander, Judy Thomas, Collinsbro Forty Five, Richard Reed, and Jodel Kepler.
3: Yeah, and a special thanks to Jacob Lay, Doug Brown, the pirated NFT of Roger Stone's presidential pardon. Uh, oh my gosh, that you could make that into an NFT, I bet. Fraudfish, he hates everything. <laughs> Ellen Rawlings, Brian Joel McCarty, Carl Anderson, Terry Stankewitz. I wonder if he's any relation to a uh, uh, former Major League Baseball infielder, Doug Stankewitz. Anyway, Charlotte Mahalek super collider i hardly know her that always make me laugh because <laughs> i'm 12 leo lang and thomas c thank you all so much again yeah patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod a-i-s-l-e-4-5-p-o-d uh allison has like 97 shows that she she does so you know if you don't you don't see <laughs> you don't sign up, we may lose her forever. So, uh, you not. I'm not going anywhere, my friend. <laughs> thank you so much for supporting and the show. And
0: now, <clears throat> this <laughs> cause. This cause comes before the court following the 11th Circuit's smackdown of my ass. No, she doesn't say that. <laughs> 11th Circuit's opinion vacating the court's September 5th, 2022 order and instructing the court to dismiss the underlying civil action. Pursuant to that opinion and the associated mandate, it is hereby ordered and adjudged as follows. One, this case is dismissed for lack of jurisdiction. Two, any scheduled hearings are canceled, any pending motions are denied as moot, and all deadlines are terminated. Three, the clerk of the court shall close this case done and ordered in chambers at Fort Pierce, Florida, this 12th day of December. 2022, courtesy copy, Council of Records, signed Eileen M. Cannon. Yeah,
3: so this means a couple of different things, right? So number one, let me get the law geekery out of the way. You asked this and and I tried to break down uh, because there, there were procedural questions at the 11th Circuit of sort of exactly how this was going to take place. The important thing to note is the entirety of the case was not appealed up to the 11th Circuit, just the order appointing the special master and the collateral uh, orders that went with that. And so because the 11th Circuit never had jurisdiction over the entire case, when they said, hey, we're dismissing out this order and we're vacating this order for lack of jurisdiction. We lack the power as the 11th Circuit to dismiss the whole case. You didn't appeal the whole case to us, but we we also have the power to tell the the judge from whom you have appealed what to do. So we are going to vacate that order, remand back down to Judge Cannon, and go look. We've said you don't have jurisdiction. Don't don't do anything stupid. Uh, dismiss out the case. And 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 that that kind of gets to my point too, which is I I don't know if you had this. I and I and I do get it. Uh, But I had people particularly as you know, we it dragged on. The mandate was stayed for seven days. And then it took a couple of days for uh, Judge Cannon to uh, to finally issue this order dismissing case. And people said, well, what if she just doesn't do it? What if she refuses to do it? And I, I. I said some law words, right? Like, you know, you could go to another court and get a rid of mandamus that forces her to do it. But but what I said before that was it's not going to happen.
0: Right. 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 That, that And we said and we said, you know, you and I had talked about this. First of all, it wasn't going to happen. But second of all, when she came down and sided with the Department of Justice to postpone all special master goings on yep. for a week to allow for the mandate to come down from Eleventh Circuit, that was a huge ass that removed sign. all doubt, right? Yeah.
3: But 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 I I want to emphasize because again, the rule of law is important to me, and it has come under severe attack in recent years. Uh, and part of this podcast is about rebuilding it. That. The, the difference between what Judge Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo did here, which was absolutely abuse her office, right? A- absolutely act in a way that was, uh, blatantly unconstitutional, completely untethered to reality, um, and and this is what happens. But that's as far as you can go, right? Like when you're a trial court judge, hey, you can make stuff up. You can interf- you know, you can interfere with your own orders. You can sua sponte issue rulings to try and help your patron get out of, uh, you know, having to sign a verification for discovery, but. When the court that sits over you tells you to do something, the moment that you said, had she said, well, I'm not going to dismiss out this case. I firmly believe this. I firmly believe she would have been impeached even by a Republican House of Representatives. Right. That 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 is that's like a governor showing up and saying, "Okay, but I'm not going to, you know, fill out a budget for the state or anything. Right. Like it's just it, it leave politics aside you you cannot we would not have a judiciary at that point if if lower court judges were like right but I disagree so I'm going to continue to go forward anyway I mean it's just mind boggling so I told you zero percent chance that uh, she was going to go wonky you pointed out I thought this was brilliant the uh, even if you give credit for that that. Uh, the moment she uh, extended the, the the scheduling deadlines that, that that was a pretty obvious sign and mm-hmm. here we go nail it down um uh, another point to make uh and and this was made uh, uh by um by my friend and OA contributor Liz Die that i think is is really really crucial to point out here and that is the repeated vindication of chris kais in trump's circle Right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you know, if we got here from Trump listening to Boris Epstein and uh, God help me, Tom Fitton, right? <laughs> uh, that that uh, Chris Kai said, I'm not put my name on this shit, right? Um, you know, you get Jim trustee to do that. (laughs)
0: He's got a little more swagger to be like, look, you should probably listen to me from now on.
3: I, I, I think that's right. And that, and that can be, you know, a double edged sword, right? Like it, well, (laughs) uh,
0: yeah, because I mean, if Trump's whole goal was to delay this for by a couple of months, then he won that, you know, then he won that he, he got it delayed by a couple of months. Fortunately, it fell right within the 60 day election blackout window. (laughs) Right. Right.
3: That's exactly right. So, yeah, no, that that's 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 a fair point. So uh, I think that also may explain because people asked if his goal was to delay, you know, why didn't they uh, present a petition to Clarence Thomas? Right. To stay the effect of the 11th court's uh, opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the answer to that, I think I don't want to say the answer. I think an answer to that could be Chris Kai saying, I, okay, but, you know, that's going to get you two days and it's going to cost you $25,000. So if you want to, right, great. But you have zero chance of success. Maybe, maybe save
0: your money for future content. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hearing. And, and
3: uh, you know, look, we all know and and it's, it's the only good thing about uh, – Donald Trump being an unreliable, grifting uh, criminal is that at the end of the at the end of the day, these these guys are going to be left holding some bag for some amount of unpaid legal bills. Um, I don't know if Judge Deary is going to get paid for his work as the special master. That was supposed to come from Trump, too. And, um,
0: yeah, and who knows?
3: Yeah, he may he may have to hire a collections firm. So. That could be uh, <laughs>
0: contempt. <laughs> so, so Judge many.
3: Judge Deary, uh, you know, give me a call if you need a referral to a uh, a hard-nosed collection firm.
0: Judge Deary, if
3: you're listening. If you're listening. And We know you are. And (laughs) contempt. I think that's a great transition to uh, judge. But we talked about this on our bonus episode uh, that uh, the DOJ had gone before uh, Chief Judge uh, Beryl Howell of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, seeking uh, contempt of court uh, charges against Trump and his lawyers if they wouldn't produce uh, a a certification minus the weasel words that were included in that. And I explained on that, uh, Patreon bonus. So you're ahead of everybody else. If you are, that the request is not particularly an onerous ask, right? That this is what document custodians do. They, they, attest to the documents over which they they are responsible for the corporate possession custody or control that's the you know custodial yeah. route
0: <laughs> and i think and i think special counsel jack smith looked at this and went i'm tired of fucking fucking around quit yep. as my dad you say quit farting around yeah um <laughs> like i'm not I'm gonna, gonna have
3: to start using that that's outstanding
0: <laughs> i'm not gonna do what the national archives did and go back and forth for Fifteen months or whatever, trying to get back a couple of boxes, and then find out later they have classified shit in them. We know you have it, and then you know. In fact, the Department of Justice insisted to Judge Beryl Howell, we know that he has more documents. Perhaps they just don't have the probable cause to search Bedminster because I think a lot of this focus is on Bedminster.
3: I think that's right.
0: They believe it's at Bedminster, and and I think Judge Beryl Howell, and this is just speculation, but I think Judge Beryl Howe was like, a contempt order isn't going to hold. If you have probable cause, f- try to get a search warrant or try to, you know, get this done yourselves and then exhaust all of your due diligence and then come back to me and we'll see if we can get a contempt order. Now, I don't know if she, you know, was sort of thinking that maybe it wasn't ripe yet. I've heard rumblings that she, that it was because the contempt order wouldn't hold or It wasn't ripe. But nothing solid because these are grand jury proceedings. And although a lot of media companies, media organizations like The Washington Post and others tried to get this hearing made public because of the public interest, uh, it it is a grand jury proceeding. And and a spokesperson for the court said this is this is grand jury stuff. It's under seal. Bye. So we don't know exactly the reasons or the arguments from DOJ or from the Trump side. All we know is that the contempt was denied. That's the only thing we know for sure. So and, and that uh, the DOJ had insisted that there were still outstanding documents in the possession of Donald Trump.
3: Yeah, that is exactly right. And thank you for uh, giving my disclaimer, because usually, you know, we cover these stories where there are documents and these are subject to secrecy of the grand jury. So there are no documents we are going off of media reporting. And I have I have seen the same thing. And, and again, I will tell you, uh, holding someone in contempt is at the discretion of the trial judge. Uh, but uh, it that that is a stronger standard, right, than some of the other measures that we've talked about in terms of uh, enforcing compliance with discovery rules and with subpoenas. And so the additional value that it would have had to Jack Smith, for example, would have been uh, it, it, it now becomes uh, trivially easy, right, to prove an 18 USC 793 offense, right? Because you've said I attest that I've done the search and there are no more documents, no asterisk, no exceptions. And so when the other documents turn up, you're like, all right, well, this was obviously a fraudulent statement that they filed. Um that's why you want it, uh, in addition to, as we talked about in the bonus, uh, facilitating uh, getting a uh, getting a search warrant and uh, and i I think that the hypothesis of of Judge Howell saying feels like you're jumping the gun a little bit right now. Uh, Is is probably the most likely hypothesis. Judge Beryl Howell, you know, has has been an ally throughout this entire process.
0: But I love the aggressiveness with which Jack Smith is going after this. And it also just puts on the record like, hey, we've you're fucking don't fuck around. Like (laughs) it it doesn't have no it, it just because the contempt wasn't awarded doesn't mean that it's value valueless you know that's
3: right and when they try and raise the argument when doj comes back and is like okay they filed another bullshit certification and here are the documents they didn't give us uh and you know and they come back and go well you know we didn't sign under what right like you have already identified that that's the play that they're trying to run and so you know it 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 loses its force to say Well, we told you there might not be all of it. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, But we also told you from the perspective of the DOJ uh, that, uh, yeah, that they were going to try and run precisely this kind of trickery. So I don't I don't view this as I mean, I would have liked to have seen a contempt order against Trump because, you know, (laughs) I think Trump has nothing but contempt for the entire judicial process. But, um, you know, true.
0: And, uh, and that, that brings us to uh, the final subject and the bulk of what we want to talk about today.
3: <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm
0: gonna to Rachel Maddow you. Maybe. I'm going to start somewhere, and I want to see if you can tell where I'm going. All right. So this Department of Justice is very much about buttoning up cases to, to make sure prosecutions or due process or due diligence to make sure they are unimpeachable. Uh, Because as we were just talking about, it was very important to go through the due diligence uh, uh, because maybe the contempt wasn't ripe so that when you do come back and do contempt, there is no defense that, well, we didn't get enough chances. They did this with the search warrant and the subpoena and everything. But buttoning up the cases, I want to talk just for a minute about seditious conspiracy charges. We know recently that two of the leaders of the Oath Keepers were convicted of seditious conspiracy, first successful seditious, seditious conspiracy convictions in this country in over 25 years, almost 30 years. And early, early on, Mike Sherwin, remember that asshole? Mm. Mike Sherwin wanted to bring seditious conspiracy charges. And he talked openly about it on 60 Minutes uh, against the Oath Keepers. And when he went to uh, Merrick Garland or US, you know, U, uh, the USAODC or Merrick Garland or both and said, hey, let's do seditious conspiracy charges, he was to- told, no, you don't have a case. Uh, he didn't there was a lot of stuff that he didn't do. He didn't have the case and then he went and talked about it on sixty minutes and then Judge Emmett Meta brought him in and said, "Don't fucking do that dude right you you you're you're getting close to treading on criminal defendants' rights uh et cetera, et cetera so then he you know Sherwin goes back to the D to the DOJ and then resigns because he was referred to a you know a, a board that could have sanctioned him for going out on 60 Minutes and talking about this seditious conspiracy case, and then in comes the new USAO uh, for for District of Columbia, and and he he's like, hey, I think we can get this, and he spends a few months putting it together, presents it again to Merrick Garland, and Merrick Garland signs off on it. Mm-hmm. And that is because he he went back, dotted all the eyes, crossed the t's, buttoned up the case. Now I I see this also happening, um, in 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 the what we're about to talk about, Andrew, which is, <laughs> which is the uh, obstruction of justice or obstructing an official proceeding. Excuse me, eighteen, Title eighteen, U.S. Code fifteen twelve c two. We've got eighteen federal judges who are cool with charging people, with obstructing an official proceeding. And as we know, and you and I have talked about this, you've talked about it on OA, I've talked about it on The Beans, we have one judge, Judge Nichols, (laughs) who says, nope, because of the word otherwise, I'm weird, I don't think you can use obstructing an official proceeding 1512C2 here for what happened at the Capitol that day. And What it seems like to me, and I could be off here, but what it feels like to me is they want to, the DOJ filed an appeal Mm -hmm. saying, well, they filed to him and say, please reconsider. And he said, no. So I think they appealed. And I mean, it's 18 to one. And I think the DOJ wants to fix this one so that they can use this statute in future criminal prosecutions, perhaps even against Donald Trump.
3: I, 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 oh, sorry. Can I jump in? That's it.
0: That's it. I mean, that's basically, I was just going to kind of the, the Oscar music was going to come up and I was going to walk off stage. But that's
3: <laughs> that was that was outstanding and definitely Maddow-esque. Uh, I <laughs> in I, 1942. <laughs> I, I love it. I think you are entirely correct. So let me gild the lily at the edges a little bit here. So let's be clear that since Judge Nichols dismissed out cases arguing that 1512C was not properly pled. Other courts have uniformly rejected that argument, right? So no one, when you say it's 18 to 1, right, it, 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 even in collateral pol- Uh, proceeding. So, for example, that argument was raised uh, collaterally as one of the reasons why the crime fraud exception didn't apply in the California documents case regarding John Eastman. And the judge there was like, yeah, um, I declined to take that view. (laughs) Right. So nobody is on board with this. But. Let's be very, very clear, right? Judge Nichols is not, even though he's a Trump appointee, Judge Nichols is not a Judge Eileen Cannon, right? right? This is not a situation where he has crafted a reading of 1512C so as to, you know, make sure that his buddy, the QAnon shaman, gets to go free or something like that. I don't think he had the QAnon shaman case, but uh, I just love that 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 guy's the face of the insurrection. Anyway, um, it has to do with the a a, a valid question. uh, And I say valid in the sense that. If I I were reading this and the question that I wanted to ask myself was, would I file Rule 11 sanctions against a lawyer who made this argument? Right. We all know what Rule 11 sanctions are. That is, you have to have uh, either a, an accurate statement of the law. You can
0: ask Alina Haba. Right.
3: Yeah. You you, you sign Lane, on. Yeah. <laughs> you sign on to a, a pleading and it must either have uh, an accurate statement of the law or a non frivolous argument for changing or extending the law. And I I, I think so that's that's not a high bar to clear. And so I, I just want to be very, very clear with this. I, I think Judge Nichols is clearly wrong. Uh, But I don't think that he's motivated from a position of uh, Judge Cannon Federalist Society weirdoness. Right. the, The section of 1512C. Right. So 1512 is titled tampering with a witness, victim or an informant. And 1512C says, whoever corruptly. And then subsection one says alters, destroys, mutilates or conceals a record document or other object or attempts to do so with the intent to impair the object's integrity or availability for use in an official proceeding. Right. So that is destruction of evidence. Right. Or two. Otherwise, obstructs, influences or impedes any official proceeding or attempts to do so shall be fined under this title and imprisoned not more than 20 years or both. And so the the only reason the 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 the, the gravamen of Judge Nichols argument here is if you read otherwise obstructs the way the DOJ reads it, the way, to be honest, most defense counsel have read it and all of the judges who have who have examined this, then that swallows everything else in the statute. Right. That Then this is everything could potentially fall into, obstructs, influences or impedes any official proceeding. And instead of having, you know, this be 1512 C2, like. That should just be the whole law, right? Whoever corruptly obstructs influences or impedes any official proceeding shall be fined under this title or in or imprisoned not more than 20 years or both, period, right? This is So this is a, a view of statutory interpretation that basically says you do not want to read a statute in such a way that it renders the other words in the statute to be surplusage, right, to be uh, superfluous and unnecessary. Canons of statutory interpretation, though, are just like guides for how you think about stuff, right? Like it's not it's not a binding rule of interpretation. It gives you some idea. Uh, but we know statutes all the time that say that will, you know, list out uh, an illustrative list. And then the last item is a catch on. It's like, OK, other stuff that's like this. We want to con- we want to include on our list.
0: But how did Nichols read it?
3: Yeah. And but Nichols read that as uh, kind of merging those two principles, right? Saying
0: Meaning it has to be about document destruction.
3: Exactly right. Because if it's not about document destruction, you have now violated not only that canon of you don't read words in a statute as surplusage, but you've also kind of gotten rid of the rescuing device that's usually used in that, right? Like it's not even illustrative of a list if you want to go, you know, to, to, to that end, right? The flip side of it is what... Everybody else has read is, yeah, no. This is kind of a grab bag statute, and we know what we're concerned about, right? We're concerned about people who are obstructing proceedings, and they do that in lots of different ways. And we've kind of thrown all of that together uh, under this large uh, 18 U.S.C. 152 agglomeration, and the plain language seems very clearly to indicate, you know, whoever. Otherwise, obstructs, influences or impedes any official proceeding. So there's no reason to depart from the way everybody understands this and the way Congress must have understood it when they passed this law uh, to craft a kind of super narrow ground for protecting people who interfere with official proceedings. (laughs) And that and that and that reading that intent into Congress goes goes way too far here. Right. Yeah. Um, And so that's sort of the dispute. And now give us the breaking news.
0: (laughs) Ah, yes. Well, uh, and and this is for Kyle Cheney's reporting. I believe he's there at the courthouse. A three judge panel of the appeals court appears skeptical of an effort to upend obstruction charges against hundreds of January six defendants. And I will add future potential charges of obstructing an official proceeding. Two of the three judges, Pan and Walker, he says, seem to agree that the unprecedented nature of January 6th supports a novel use of the obstruction statute. Now, can you tell me what court Pan and Walker are on?
3: Uh, That is the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. And the Biggest. uh Oh, the reason why, you know, when you sent this to me earlier this morning, I was like, wow, wow we must talk about this is uh, pan and and Walker, Justin Walker. That is the handpicked Mitch McConnell hack uh, that I debated out in Louisville, uh, who is manifestly unqualified to be serving on the federal bench, let alone a heartbeat away from the Supreme Court. Um Somebody that I have marked in the same category as Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo, diehard Trump hack, was thoroughly dishonest in our debate. So I have no doubt that he's, you know, if he's willing to be dishonest just to, like, try and win points over uh, failed, by the way, uh, versus Andrew Torres in front of a room of, like, 70 people. I have no doubt that he's willing to lie, you know, in his judicial opinions. If you're losing Justin Walker, y- you're you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah.
0: And an interesting argument that was made by Nick Smith, who I believe is hmm. on the side of trying to not use the obstructing and yep. official proceeding. He had an interaction with Judge Walker. Right. Uh, where Smith warned that if you do this, if you allow this to stand, if you allow him to use obstructing and official proceeding 1512C2, that could result in Democrats trying to challenge the 2000 election. To which Walker reacted as though Smith had just compared January 6th to what happened in 2000, which didn't seem to go over well. Uh, Is there a way – and I know this sounds dumb because that's a dumb argument. But is there a (laughs) way that the Department of Justice can write a letter or something saying we won't go after the 2000 election for obstructing an official proceeding or something to – to, to, not to assuage the fears of idiots, but uh, to, you know, to to remove that argument. Well, I mean, the statute
3: of limitations has long since run, right? I mean, you know... You know. A general five-year uh, statute of limitations. So
0: yeah, but Al Gore's still out there. He could, you know, we could <laughs> install him any minute.
3: I, I, did, I don't know uh, that. That I, where I take an incredibly positive sign from that is I. I, I wonder. Right again. My interaction with Justin Walker is pre-insurrection. Right. Was pre his elevation to the federal bench. And I wonder if there are not folks in Trump world who were plenty loyal, who are plenty conservative, who are plenty religiously conservative. Right. All of those things that apply to Walker, that apply to Amy Coney Barrett, that apply to others and for whom an armed insurrection remains a bridge too far. Right. Right. And they're no longer involved in the political process. So, you know, they don't have to do the gaslighting that Mitch McConnell has done. Right. Of uh, uh, of Lindsey Graham. Right. You know, saying I refuse to carry water for this president, you know, this president anymore after what I've seen. And then, you know, go right back to carrying water for Donald Trump. So I I wonder if that's not uh, indicative of uh, there being sort of an undercurrent of folks who were otherwise on board with the program who uh, for whom that was a bridge too far I certainly hope that, that that's the case
0: yeah and I wish I knew who that third judge was
3: yeah yeah I don't I don't know the third judge on the panel we're just looking at the uh reporting
0: mm-hmm. yeah we're, yeah and that's the only real uh, real reporting out so far uh, you yep. know on this Monday about this uh, appellate court hearing but to me really honestly the first you know when I saw that 18 to one. This really feels <laughs> this really feels like the Justice Department saying, well, we gotta we gotta quash that one. Yep. Uh, so we have
3: I, I, I think that's absolutely right. A
0: perfectly clean slate with courts, you know, with the court's approval to go forward with the current charges of 1512 C2, we have against January 6th protesters who were there at the Capitol, but also maybe future indictments or prosecutions. Of people who were not there, um, uh, you know, like the Oath Keepers, for example, Stuart Rhodes, he wasn't there, but he got charged with seditious conspiracy. So now DOJ has that in their pocket. We can charge people with seditious conspiracy who weren't there. Uh, but now also 1512C2. If if you know if DOJ decides or cannot find like super solid evidence that Trump had anything to do with the, if they can't link him to the violent attack on the Capitol, they certainly. Um, you know, can go for obstructing an official proceeding. But they want to get rid of that one thing that could be an argument. uh, And that's just the kind of the way that I'm seeing it. It's not only for previous prosecutions, but I think for future ones, too.
3: I I think it is entirely future prosecutions. And it is if you go to the trouble of uh, charging the former guy, you do not want to randomly flip. Judge Nichols as the presiding judge and know that uh, that he's going to dismiss out that that 1512 charge Um, in addition
0: to the former guy. So when you say future Would prosecutions he be bound by the appellate court decision. Oh, absolutely. Like, yes. Just yes. like if, sort yep. of the I mean, we just recently saw that where the 11th Circuit was like, we're bound by this, dude. And Correct. then we we also saw. Uh, We saw it somewhere else where I can't remember. Help me. Help me remember. A judge was like, look, I don't want to, but I got to. I'm bound by this uh, 11th Circuit uh, decision. Maybe it was a civil proceeding. I can't remember. But, you know, that that was what I'm thinking is that if they if they do draw nickels, that who's a trump appointee he probably should just recuse himself <laughs> first and foremost that's
3: not going to happen
0: <laughs> right but uh, because you know we we've seen that in in other situations where you don't recuse yourself just because the person who appointed you right. is being charged now, now mind you
3: so or this is a little a bit there's a little bit of a rabbit trail but I want to go down it. i am In favor of the position that says you can be adverse, you can have a litigant in front of you who appointed you to the bench, and that's not reason for recusing yourself right like that's that's the judicial watch argument of like well every time you know i allege something about the clinton administration any clinton appointees have to recuse themselves no that's not the way it works i think the argument is pretty strong when it is the criminal trial of the person who has appointed you and that you know if, if there was a criminal prosecution of bill clinton Hillary Clinton is, again, a slight attenuation. Uh, but if there were a criminal prosecutor, Bill Clinton, there's not going to be one of either uh, that a Clinton appointed judge probably ought to recuse themselves. Right. If, you know, Barack Obama gets arrested tomorrow, an Obama appointee is the presiding judge, then maybe not. Right. Um, so I, I, but I but I did want to draw that. I know that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I wanted to, to draw that distinction. Um it When you say, here's the bottom line, because you've sort of left this implied, and I want to make it explicit for our listeners. Thanks. Most of the, quote, low-level insurrectionists have been found and indicted and charged already, right? So when you say future prosecution, and that's not to say there are people out there doing good work trying to identify- uh, Yeah, there's you know,
0: a few hundred more people who are at the- capital who they're there there are
3: right i want to give that caveat we should still try but when you talk about future prosecutions you mean high-level planners the generals yeah the former guy you mean roger stone you mean Ali alexander you mean michael flynn you mean yeah right those people and uh and yeah that is the in my view that is the only reason why you appeal that Particular issue right now, and that is to establish binding precedent and it's vertical precedent, right? So the DC Court of Appeals governs all of the judges on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, which is where these cases will be brought and tried. Uh, And even if some were brought elsewhere, it would be under DC federal law, right? Like it would, there's no way to get out. And uh, and I think we've got a pretty good indication of uh, of where the D.C. Circuit is going.
0: Yeah, I I, I think so, too. And I mean, it is the D.C. Circuit. Um, (laughs) You know, we're not we're not down in the uh, 11th, uh, even though I think the 11th would probably rule the same way. Uh, You know, I have I have real
3: doubts about the Fifth Circuit (laughs) right now. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, you know, team. Rule of law uh, has uh, has has gotten a pretty good boost from uh, what's what's transpired in the 11th circuit. I think um, so, too. I think so, too. I I wanted to hit one more story before we got out of here. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) And uh, that is the uh, and, and I thought about not doing this because this is a blatant cry for attention by attention starved. Kirsten Cinema, who decided that she was going to take her ball and go home and re-register as an independent uh, over the weekend. And this is, let us be super clear. It's why I almost didn't want to cover the story. This is a stunt from someone who likes being on TV, who now understands the likelihood of her being on TV has just dropped dramatically because the Democrats now have a Two seat advantage in the Senate that we told you was super duper important. <laughs> so yeah, um, a two seat advantage. Well, fifty one forty nine. Yeah, at, uh, a two okay. seat margin, right? And, and I get it. So they, they lose one, you know, to to go the other way. But uh, but if you have a holdout, right, it now becomes fifty one fifty. Sorry, <laughs> it now becomes fi- yeah, right. It now becomes fifty forty nine. Love the uh, involuntary uh, reference there. Um, And here's here's the bottom line of what you need to know. Um, Kirsten Sinem is keeping her committee assignments and uh, has uh, committed to voting for Chuck Schumer. So she will be caucusing with the Democrats, uh, not caucusing with Republicans, uh, not in any way threatening that when you look up any objective measure of what she's done as a senator. So, for example, 538 Biden Congress votes. Um, Two ways to look at this. One way is she's at 93 percent, right, of votes with Biden. That is um, at the bottom end of the tail Mm. (laughs) of Democratic senators. Uh, And you might not expect. So so the very bottom is, of course, Joe Manchin, 88 percent. And again, that tells you, right, I would much rather have Mansions 88 than, you know, Josh Hawley's 12, for example. Uh, and, uh, you know, Manchin loses. He's likely to be replaced with somebody very, very, very conservative. Um, but, but here are the folks who were after her. And again, these are all in the 90s. So Catherine Cortez Masto, just reelected in Nevada. Uh, Rosen, um, Bernie Sanders, 91 percent. The, the third most likely to break with Joe Biden is mm-hmm. is Bernie Sanders, John Tester out in Montana, and then finally Joe Manchin and Joe Manchin's 88 then drops off to Susan Collins at 68, Lisa Murkowski, 67, Rob Portman, 57. Sorry, Rob Portman, 62, and then Lindsey Graham at 58 Uh, Mitt Romney at 58. So a bunch of things to take away here. Number one, it... it, it it still makes a difference, right? Folks who say Joe Manchin is functionally a Republican or are, are wrong by 30 to 40%. People who say Kirsten Sinema is functionally a Republican are wrong by 30 to 40%, even over the most liberal members of the Republican party. Uh, number two, uh, if the Democrats thought that this was, uh, in any way a threat to not, you know, to vote for Mitch McConnell for Senate majority leader, they would have taken away her committee assignments. They still can, um, number 3 kirsten cinema was facing what i view as an unwinnable democratic primary in arizona in 2024 so i think this is a stunt uh i think it is designed to get her out from under the primary that she would face uh in arizona in 2024 that she would clearly lose uh and i think it's a way to keep you know stories being about kirsten cinema which seems to be the primary thing that Kirsten Cinema once in her life, so I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that.
0: No, no, we we went over this. She, I, the only thing I care about is that we still get the we don't have to do a power sharing agreement. She's not going to caucus with the Republicans. We yeah. still get to put our judges on the bench. That's, that's right. like my number one thing.
3: Yeah, she's voted for a hundred percent of of Biden's judges. So yeah, yeah. And, and and it is no different. Independent caucusing with the Democrats is no different than Angus King and Bernie Sanders.
0: Now, and she's keeping her committee assignments, which means she's not being a Republican. Yeah. Um, one more question before we get out of here, uh, because I just had some breaking news come across Ooh. my feed. Uh, Josh Marshall at Talking Points Memo has obtained mm-hmm. a new trove of Mark Meadow te- Mark Meadows texts, um, 2,319 texts, and they got them all from multiple sources. And while I'm very interested in reading this text, which I'm sure I'll start pouring over as soon as they're published, I'm a little more interested in how they were obtained uh, and, and what that says about the nature of the investigation into January 6th. Um, because, you know, usually these things come from the side of the person who, who did them. Like maybe, maybe they're cooperating and maybe they want to get the story out ahead of time uh, right. or, or spin it. Or, or maybe, you know, we know that uh, um, somebody on the January 6th committee handed over all of Meadows' text messages to CNN when he wasn't supposed to, and um, maybe they got them from a committee member. But I'm very interested to know what, what you think, Andrew, like how would all of these text messages just now have come out, especially when we're talking about special counsel, Jack Smith, all these subpoenas, haven't heard a peep from Meadows. Um, You know, we don't know who and who has not been interviewed in the grand jury or maybe just voluntarily interviewed uh, by the FBI without a subpoena. Uh, Does this at all indicate that Meadows could be cooperating or is that just something I'm putting together in my head because I want to be true?
3: Well... So remember that Mark Meadows is still affiliated with a think tank that funds election denialism and that employs Cleta Mitchell. And so every time you think Mark Mitchell, every time you think <laughs> okay, right, that Mark Meadows uh, is on your side, there is an awful lot of evidence that that he is not. Um, that being said, he is the person who was most carrot and sticked. <laughs> right, by the January 6th committee.
0: Right. I mean, even even the Trump folks were like, we're going to make him the fall guy.
3: Yeah, and, and that's right. So there is a, a tremendous amount back there. I will tell you where my first thought goes is my first thought goes to Chapman University, right? And is it possible that these texts were somehow transmitted to John Eastman and they had a copy? Because Chapman has taken the position of uh, you know, we own uh, Eastman's emails and stuff that's on our server. So I don't know, right? Wouldn't those this have been is...
0: litigated though, in that whole um, so so
3: <laughs> that question the the question that was litigated was a question of attorney client privilege, right? So what, so what was litigated in the Eastman matter was uh, Chapman said there's no attorney client privilege because This is on our server. So therefore, no expectation of privacy and where the judge came down was, yes, there can be attorney client privilege. But if somebody sends, you know, a a file of Mark Meadows texts to uh, John Eastman. There, That is just like, hey, FYI, like that's not attorney client privilege, right? Like that is um, because, it, you know, to be attorney client privilege, you must be requesting legal advice from somebody who has been engaged to be a lawyer to provide said advice or it must be, you know, attorney work product. And it's neither of those things. So I, I mean, you know, this is I learned about it. While we are recording and you pass the news on to me, but I think the important thing here is that there are an awful lot of, of potential sources that are out there. And, you know, the the fact that this is coming out, uh, I think, is uh, illustrative of, uh, you know, that the, the, the I, I think a lot of people are rightly pessimistic about what Trump was able to do when he controlled the levers of power. But we keep telling people, hey, that that those days are gone. Right. Like this is not a case where you can sit on the Mueller report and have Bill Barr issue a quote summary that omits the word not from it. Right. Like (laughs) these these documents are there. And, And and so I am super curious. But, you know, again, every every everything is speculation at this point on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. I just wanted to ask that question because I was like, how did they get them? Why did they get them? Because now I'm when I see things that, you know, when, oh, according to sources, I'm like, I am very interested in who the source (laughs) is because like the sources on the reporting for the contempt hearing, where did that come from? It didn't come from the Department of Justice, didn't come from the judge, didn't come from the court. Where did it come from? So I'm just always very interested in 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 that, not only because I'm, you know, just very curious, busybody, but also, I mean, I think it says a lot about what's happening and where things might be headed, uh, because I know a lot of these defense attorneys really like to get out ahead of stories uh, and make sure that they can create their own narrative. So anyway, I figured I'd ask.
3: Yep. Uh, always worth asking. Lots of potential avenues.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that is the show for today. We will have a bonus this week. We're going to do our best to do a bonus episode the week between Christmas and New Year's, but please forgive us if we aren't able to get to that. We're going to do everything that we can to make it happen, uh, and including the Monday episode um, uh, uh, Christmas week. So uh, please just, you know, we're, we're going to do our best. How about Work that? Work with us
3: here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've missed a show in 100 episodes, so... Um, thank you very much, everybody, and thanks to our patrons. We love you. We appreciate you. We appreciate all of our listeners. You really make this possible. Whether you're listening for free with ads, whether you're listening uh, pre, you know, a um, premium feed, getting it early, uh, it seriously makes such a huge difference. And so does subscribing. If you haven't subscribed to Clean Up on L45, it's free. It takes two seconds, and it helps us beat Dan Bongino in the charts, and that's my favorite thing. I uh,
3: so. me too so please <laughs> and as long that. as we're as long as we're doing asks, also you know go out to to iTunes or to your favorite uh podcast place of choice and uh, and give us five stars uh, if you if you don't think it's a five star po- podcast, then keep your opinions to yourself no. Because, <laughs> no no seriously like this is like you know doordash right like four stars means i I think the hosts are Hitler right like
0: that's yeah. very true yeah that's true. <laughs> Uh, but yes, thank you very much for 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 listening. This has been an amazing first hundred shows. Um, wow! Here's yeah. to a hundred more, my friend. All right, everybody. This has been. I've been Allison Gill. Let's do that.
3: All right, and I'm Andrew Torres.
0: This has been Clean Up on Isle 45